Uh, but let's begin reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. I want to read really just one and a half verses, if that's all right. Uh, we're going to read verse 13 in the first part of verse number 14. Because I want you to notice the work that God did in the church at Thessalonica. Paul says in verse number 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. I pray that tonight... You would uh, arrest our hearts, adjust our focus, and Lord, that you would apprehend our attention tonight, that Father, we might draw our hearts upon you, that we might ready ourselves for this series of meetings this week. Lord, it is a valuable thing, what we're going to be able to enjoy and experience over this next five days. And Help us not take for granted what a precious thing it is to be able to sit down each night Be fed the Word of God. Let us reverence it. Let us, Lord, utilize it. And may our hearts be in a right condition to receive it for your glory, for your honor. I pray that you bless the preaching tonight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I want to echo something that I said to the Lord just a moment ago. We're getting ready over the next five days, in as much as you're willing and committed to be there, and I am willing and committed to be there, Uh, We're getting ready to experience something of great value. I think that there is a danger. You know, our church, we have a lot of preaching. Amen? In fact, that runs some people off. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, I, I love a lot of the things that we do around our church. I love the music. I love the fellowship. I love the eating that we do. Amen? Uh, I love the activities that take place. I love the camaraderie that exists between uh, our church people. But I've always been committed, ever since I was first voted in, to make preaching the main thing going on at Wall Ridge Baptist Church. I believe that preaching ought to be the main thing. I believe that preaching is the greatest activity that a church undertakes, is the preaching the truth of the Word of God. And because we have a lot of preaching, listen, I mean, we invent reasons to preach around here. And because of that, I think that as with anything, you know, if they print a bunch of dollars, it it sort of devalues the dollar. When you preach a lot, it is easy sometimes. And and we live in a day today where not just in the sense of our church life and culture, but but all across the board. I mean, we're just uh, there's preaching everywhere. You can get you could get on the internet tonight, and between now and next Sunday, watch sermon videos, good sermons, sound sermons, and never take a break between now and next Sunday. We have so much preaching available to us that I think there's a great danger that we take it for granted and that we not count it a precious thing. Uh, one of the things that I've also tried to do is try to put good preachers in front of you. Uh, you get the idea, especially if you've got a small circle that you live in, like there just ain't many people out there doing anything for God. But God has encouraged me along the way, giving me friends and, and people of influence in my life and a reminder that there are still some men of God that are preaching the Word of God that are the real deal. And, you know, we all talk about the old days, and uh, I I believe that God did something special in those good old days. Of course, every generation talks about their good old days. But I, I do believe that preaching, as far as its quality is concerned, of preaching itself, 
is probably at one of the greatest places it's been in the past few hundred years. Now, I won't necessarily say that we're seeing God move today that once we did in society, but preaching being sound and biblical and real exposition of the Word is probably better today than it's been in generations. And because of that, I think it's easy to take preaching for granted. But what's going to transpire over the next five days with us as a family gathering in each evening and sitting under a man of God, taking the holy, inspired, preserved Word of God and breaking the bread of life is an opportunity that I think is oftentimes underestimated and it's almost impossible to rightly attribute the value and figure upon it that it deserves. You understand, we got lots of preaching now, but you and I, we're going to step five seconds into eternity and there ain't going to be no more preaching. But right now, we have the opportunity to gather ourselves and our loved ones and our family under the preaching of the Word of God, under the moving of the Spirit of God, and to see God do something spectacular in our lives. So I want to give you a few things tonight that you can do to ready yourself Beginning tonight, I'm talking about even tonight, to ready yourself and your family things that you need to do for God to move and work in your life this week. I don't know what God's going to do this week. I'll tell you this, as a pastor, I probably feel more focused and determined on this meeting having an effect on our, our church body as a whole than I ever have in the years that I've pastored. I'm asking God to do something, not just in lives, but in our church I'm asking God to give us fruit that remains and to gain ground that I'm talking about. Listen, we, 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 we've got a lot of, of hitching posts in ministry. We need some mile markers, some things we can look back on and say that night at that meeting was when God got a hold of my heart. That night at that meeting was when God settled some things in my life. We need that desperately. And so I'm begging God to do that this week. And my heart is fixed on that, on that endeavor this week. And in pursuit of that, I want to give you five things that you and I both can be doing to ready for revival. Five things that you can support these next five evenings with. Now, our text tonight is in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And Paul remembers fondly about when him and his uh, companions were preaching the Word of God in Thessalonica. You, you can read about that time in the book of Acts. But he's talking particularly to the church that was birthed out of that effort. And he says, you know, we we remember, we still haven't forgotten. We still pray for you and we still thank God for the work that He did in your all's life. I'm talking about those mile markers, those milestone moments. Paul says that was a milestone moment in our ministry and of course it was the great milestone in your life for you heard and received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we still sit around and talk about what God did over those few months that we were ministering in that place. And I, listen, I don't have a, I don't have an example verse for the first one, but let me just give you the first one. You know how you can support this meeting this week? You know how you can ready yourself for revival, for God to do a real work in your heart and life? Number one, with your presence this week. I can tell you right now exactly. I can't give you names, but I can tell you exactly who's going to get nothing out of these meetings. The folks that ain't there. You've got to be here to be helped. I remember a man told me years ago, irony of ironies, to my knowledge, this guy's out of church today, but he made a statement to me that really stuck in my heart and mind. He said, you know, preacher, you really only have to make up your mind to go to church one time in your life. 
And I was sort of puzzled by that. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, once you make up your mind that you're going to be there, he said, there's going to be times you'll be providentially hindered. Of course, we all are. I mean, people get flat tires, people get the flu, uh, people go on vacations. I don't think it's a sin to go on vacation. I think it's a sin for you to go on vacation, but not for me to go on vacation. Amen? No, I don't think it's a sin to go on vacation. There's going to be times, but he said, once you make up your mind, that barring all of those situations, barring being truly, genuinely, providentially hindered. And a lot of it is we got to get our focus on pleasing God and not pleasing men. Because you can give men excuses and they'll be contented with it, but God knows your heart. And once we set our heart and mind on that, He said, once you make up your mind for that, that's the only time you have to make that decision. He said, you will be providentially hindered at times, but it'll never be a question of whether you'll be there. You'll always default to the fact of, yes, the doors are open, I'm going to be there. I give as an example the way it was in our home growing up. And I know I've said this many times, but I'll share it with you again. i got family. I, all my siblings in this room right now, they can testify to this truth. Whenever we was growing up, our house was never quieter than on Sunday afternoons. Because every Sunday afternoon, uh, we'd come home and Mom would fix us some kind of lunch. Uh, occasionally, we'd stop and get something. Most of the time, we'd come home, Mom would fix us lunch. And then Mom and Dad go in the bedroom and take a nap. They'd just pile up and hibernate. And uh, we would, we knew if they woke up at a certain time, by a certain time, we was going to church. And kids, it's funny, man, I've had, I've had parents say to me, I, man, my kid don't want to go to church. What's wrong with them? And I've always thought to myself, I'd be more worried about them if they did want to go to church. Amen? Am I right? Maybe, hey, maybe you had perfect kids. We wasn't like that growing up. We was looking for every excuse we could to lay out of church as kids growing up. And we'd get real quiet when they were taking a nap. You know why? We knew if we heard somebody shuffling around, we knew that if they had woke up, we were going to church. There was never any discussion. There was no point in the home that I grew up in, in going to mom and dad saying, we going to church tonight. We knew we was going to church. They had settled it many, many years ago that if the church doors was open, they was going to be there. And it was a pattern. It was a precedent. It was a fundamental rule in our house that if church was going on, we was going to be there. Listen, you ain't going to get any help if you ain't here to get help this week. Now, I can go ahead and tell you in a group this size, there's going to be some flat tires. There's going to be some sickness. I'm aware of that. I've been pastoring long enough to know that. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you can forfeit and miss what is a precious opportunity this week if you don't commit yourself right now in your heart, in your mind, to say, as the Lord is my witness, every opportunity I have to be there, I'm going to be there. There will be some things that you'll have to fight against. The devil's not going to make it easy, but you can make your mind up that you're going to be here to the best of your ability. You might as well listen. If your intention is not to be here, then none of the other things I mentioned is going to help you at all. But if you will commit in your heart and mind to say, I'm going to be there when the Word of God's preached, when the manna is being given out, when the bread's being broken, I'm going to be there to hear what God has for me, then I believe that's the first step in seeing revival in our hearts, homes, and in the house of God this week. Let me give you a second thing. I believe you can ready yourself for revival. I believe that you can support this meeting with your promotion. With your promotion. Tell somebody about what God's going to do this week. I've had people come up to me all day. It's been a blessing. I've had people come up to me all day and say, Preacher, I've invited this person, I've invited that person, I've invited this person, I've invited that person. Uh, and, and I'm praying that they'll be at the meeting this week. 
And you know, if you've been inviting people long enough to things like revival meetings, you know that you could probably invite 30 people and there'd still be a chance that somebody might not show up. But let me tell you something that it will help you with even if nobody shows up. It'll get you here. It ought to get you here. Shame on you if you invite somebody, tell them you're going to have a seat waiting for them, and then lay out. Invite somebody, even if they don't show up, it'll help you in your faithfulness. Because it'll be something that is a motivator for you to be here waiting and ready to see them come through the door. And i got news for you. Every once in a while, something happens in the stars line and somebody shows up. Right? Uh, In all seriousness, you invite people, there's a good likelihood that they'll come, especially to a special meeting. There's some of y'all that have borne your hearts with me about folks that you've said, Preacher, they're not in good churches, they're not in sound places, or every time there's somebody I know they're not in church and I invite them to church and they lie to me, they tell me they're in church somewhere, but I know that's not the case. A revival meeting is a good opportunity for them to have no excuses. Invite people to come and be a part. I gave this little standard here. Invite three types of people. Number one, and everybody ought to commit to do this to the best of their ability. Invite a family member to the meeting this week. Call up a family member. It can be a cousin. It can be a niece or a nephew, an uncle. It can be a parent. It can be a sibling. Call up somebody. It could be a third cousin twice removed and say, Hey, I'd love for you to come and be a part of these meetings this week. Come, I'll have a spot for you. You can sit right beside me. Nobody's going to ask you to give a speech. Nobody's going to ask you to give money. We just want you to come and enjoy the preaching. Invite a family member. Also, invite a friend or co-worker. And I guess I'd say for young people, somebody you go to school with. Uh, invite somebody that you know personally that's not kin and tell them, say, I'm going to have a place for you at this meeting. Please come and enjoy this. And then invite a stranger. Find somebody you don't know or barely know. Somebody that you've never invited before. You see, here's the reality. The principle that's true for you is true for them. The people that ain't going to get no help are those that are not here. And those people you're praying for, you say, preacher, they won't show up. Well, they sure ain't going to show up if they don't know about it. Now, you're right. They may. You may invite them. They may cuss your name. They may slam it door in your face. They may say, get out of here. But you don't know that any more than I know 100% for sure that they will come. The only way we're going to find out is if you will get serious enough about what's going to take place this week to be willing to want somebody else to get in on it. I can think of no negative impact to inviting somebody to church. And there's not a lot of things we can say that about in life. Uh, There's not a lot of things that we can say, this can't go wrong. But it can't go wrong if you invite somebody to the meeting. Somebody's going to come up to me with some ridiculous concocted scenario after the service. But by and large, (laughs) by and large, you can't go wrong. Invite people, promote this week. Let me give you another practical thing. And here in a moment we're going to dig into this text. But you can support this meeting and you can ready yourself for what God's going to do this week. Number one, with your presence. You've got to be here to get help. Number two, with your promotion. Uh, it'll help you stay faithful if you'll get somebody else coming because you'll know I need to be there. I don't need to let them down. But then number three, with your preparation. We prepare for everything in life, or we should. Uh, what's the old saying? To plan to fail or to, to fail... Let's see, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. How do I get it right here in a second? Uh, everything in life takes preparation. Uh, there's going to be people... I, listen, I promise you there are people that are not here tonight for no other reason than they want to feel good at work in the morning. 
And they say, preacher, I just want to get home and I want to get my clothes together and I want to get my lunch packed and I want to be sure that I can get plenty of rest because I want to feel good in the morning. Now, I'm not casting any aspersions on those folks, but I am asking you this. Why is it that we'll dismiss the house of God to plan for a secular obligation, but we will not even go the steps of planning our secular engagements in such a way to prepare for what God's going to do at the house of God? Anything that we don't plan for is bound to fail. It takes a measure of planning to succeed at anything in life. And that's true for the next five days. It is not lost on me how difficult it is when you add to an already jam-packed schedule a, 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 an opportunity, an event, a, a time frame that you're going to plan to be there and be present at every single night of the week. It ain't lost on me. i got two kids. Uh, it ain't lost on me. I've got a busy schedule. And oftentimes we don't get as much out of the meeting as we could because we put no preparation into it. We put no forethought into it. We try, Listen, you can't live this next week the way that you lived last week and expect to be at the meeting and get help and see God do a work in your heart. It's going to take some planning. Let me give you a few things. Number one, you need to prepare yourself. Tonight, we sort of put this in shoe leather. Tonight, we're not having our fellowship time after the evening service. And the reason is because I want you to be able to get home, get you some rest, and get up tomorrow and feel good. That way, come six, five, six o'clock tomorrow night, you're not saying, I'm just absolutely worn slap out. The fact is, there may be some things that you have to forego this week. There may be some activities that you have to do without this week. There may be some leisures that you wanted to take that you have to put off to next week in order to be prepared for the meeting each and every night. To come in with a fresh heart, with a right attitude, with sharp attention. You need to prepare yourself. Get some sleep. Manage whatever schedule you need to manage. And we'll say a word about that in a moment. But make plans to be here and feel good being here. Not only that, you need to, some of y'all are going to laugh when I say this, but you need to try to resist stress this week. You know what happens? I'm being serious when I say this. A lot of folks go into a, a, into a boiler of a workplace situation and the temperature's high, the stress is high, everything's going on. And by the time the whistle blows at four o'clock, they're so stressed and so worn out that when the moment of decision comes to say, am I going to be at meeting or am I not? They're just absolutely stressed to no end. And they say, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to try to decompress. Now, most of us would resist stress if we could. I'm aware of that. But you need to recognize that the devil's going to be doing everything he can to try to disrupt what God wants to do in your heart and mind this week and in our church life. So take the extra step to try to be sober and be vigilant as to when the devil is trying to spin you up and trying to get you stressed out. Make the meeting your priority this week. Say, preacher, what about work? Work will be there next week. Preacher, what about my obligations? I promise they'll, they'll still be there next week. You say, preacher, what about my bills? Well, listen, if they don't show up next week, God bless you, but chances are they'll still be there. What's not going to be happening next week is what's happening this week in this meeting. So prepare yourself. Do what's necessary to keep yourself in the right condition. Number two, prepare your schedule. Dismiss distractions. It's funny, I, and, and I don't know why we're this way as human beings, but do you ever at the worst possible time, when your life is the most stressful, when you have the most obligations, all of a sudden get a, a powerful, obsessive inclination to want to fix things that are not pertinent to the present situation? 
In other words, when everything's going sideways, when everything's absolutely going crazy in your life, and you got 60 million things going on, uh, you're all of a sudden deciding that this is the week that you've got to paint the porch. This is the week that you've got to organize the pantry. This is the week that you've got to try to go through this or that in your house. It's not an accident that those things happen. Very often that's the devil trying to put distractions in our life to keep our eyes off of what's going on, spiritually speaking, around us and within us. Dismiss those distractions. Don't make this week the week you have to fix or finish or complete everything. Don't all of a sudden impute to yourself a responsibility to take care of everything that's been on your honeydew or hubby-do list for, for uh, ten years... Don't say, this is the week it has to be done. Because oftentimes that's one of two things. Either we are genuinely convinced of it, and it's the devil convincing us of it to try to get our eyes off of what's doing, try to get our priorities sideways, or it's us, our flesh, trying to use a reason to cop out what is our responsibility. The priority this week ought to be what God wants to do in your heart and life. Don't schedule things that could conflict with or crowd the meeting. Uh, and this is especially true for those of you that are in a workplace where you can schedule meetings and make appointments and stuff. I mean, listen, you understand that you're just tempting fate if you decide you're going to schedule something for 5.45 and meeting starts at 7. Uh, don't decide this is the week. Listen, if you've got a doctor's appointment that you could put off and you know it's going to wipe you out, if you go to it this week, maybe you ought to put it off. Uh, not anything pertinent, not anything pressing, not anything that needs to be, needs to happen this week. Again, there's times we're providentially hindered. But I'm saying, don't construct your schedule in such a way that you know something can very easily crop up to knock you out of being here at what God's going to be doing this week. This is just practical stuff. I told you it was. Some of you all sitting there saying, well, Preacher, I know all this. Well, God bless you. That's good. But for those that might not, go ahead and be sober and vigilant and recognize that the devil's going to try to any and everything this week to stop you. Let me give you some more practical things. Plan your, prepare yourself, your schedule, but also prepare your situation. And these are some simple things. Uh, you may not have to do all these things, but if you do have to do these things, or if it won't hurt to do these things, you ought to do these things. Let me give you a real simple one. Lay out your clothes. I told you it was going to be practical, didn't I? I ain't got chapter and verse on that, but I have in, uh, on many occasions in my life been five to ten minutes late because I didn't do it. Lay out your clothes. Make plans. Make sure you got gas in your gas tank. Do whatever it is. Now you say, that's petty. Yeah, the devil's petty. And he'll use those things if he can. Plan out your meals. Some of you ladies, listen, you work hard. And this is going to be a hard week for you because you're still going to be feeding your family. Take some shortcuts. They can live off casserole. Put something in the crock pot. They won't die. Do what it takes to be able to be here and lay the plans out that are necessary. There's probably been a lot of folks that had every intention of being at the meeting. They said, well, you know, we got home and we were just rushing. The kids hadn't eaten and my, my husband hadn't eaten and we just we didn't know what to do. And so we just decided we wouldn't do it tonight. And then you've missed a blessing that you're never going to get back. You've, you've missed a sermon that you're never going to hear. Say, preacher, I can get a CD. It ain't the same. You know it and I know it. So, listen, plan out your meals. This is a good one for us ki- uh, people with kids. Give your kids naps. I understand when you got kids, kids are crazy. Kids don't have any rhyme or reason. Me and my wife were reading an article yesterday. She saw it and she sent it to me. And we've told everybody we know that has kids just because we want them to know there is light at the end of the tunnel. But we, we read this article said that latest studies reveal that it takes six years after you've had a child for your sleep to get caught up and your sleep patterns to get back to normal. 
I get it. I promise. I could go through my sob story about how little sleep that I get every time that the baby cries. My wife's getting up out of bed and waking me up and, and no. <laughs> go in there and tend to the baby. Baby just crying. I say, honey, take that baby in the basement where I can't hear it. It's hard on these ladies. That's the truth. I'm serious when I say that. They work hard. And there is, to some greater or lesser degree, it's difficult even on the fathers too. Give your kids naps. Uh, you and I both know that when a kid don't have a nap, they ain't fit for nothing but to be put in a bucket with a lid on top of it. And so go out of your way. Be extra rigid with it. Stay ahead in your work. If you know that you're not diligent in your work, then don't allow your work to creep up on you in such a way that you're going to wind up having to stay over two hours. Now here, I could give you 60 other things. But you know what it boils down to? Plan. Prepare your situation such to facilitate being here, being present at the meeting. Don't just stumble blindly into it and then be shocked when things don't work out. Instead, take the precautions, take the the necessary measures to make sure you can be here. Let me give you a fourth thing. Not only with your presence, with your promotion, with your preparation, but with your perceptiveness. And here we get particularly into our text. Paul says that he remembered a few things about the way that the the Thessalonians responded the way they they reacted to the Word of God. Notice what he says in verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the Word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So, you finally, you've put everything aside. You've made it to the house of God. You've got clothes on the kids. You've got food in their bellies. You've fought the rain. You've fought the traffic. You've fought all the obstacles you've got here. You plop down in your seat and you say, Preacher, now what? Well, there's going to be a man of God take the Word of God and open it. He's going to turn to a text. He's going to read it. And then he's going to begin to expound the truth of it. And when that happens, you need to do four things. Number one, you need to receive the Word of God. Now, it's interesting, that word receive, it means to associate with oneself. And we might say it this way, you ain't receiving the Word of God if your focus is on somebody else. Instead, when you say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this message? That's receiving the Word of God. There's been a lot of folks dry up and die on the vine because they thought God was trying to fix everybody's problems and everybody's flaws but their own. And when the Word of God was preached, all they could do was think about what, who ought to be here, who's not here, who should be listening, who should be in the altar. And after it was all said and done, it was them God was dealing with. When you hear the preacher preach this week, ask yourself this question with every point, with every illustration, with every scripture. Ask yourself, Lord, what are you saying to me? Not to everybody else, to me. Revival begins with me. Begins with me. Not me as the pastor, meaning revival in my life, my home begins with me. And revival for you begins with you. So don't worry about everybody else, worry about yourself. Not only did they receive it, uh, Paul says they received it not as the word of men, but as it in truth is in truth the word of God, they reverenced it. They said, this is not just man's opinion that we're hearing. This is, as it is in truth, the word of God. Now that's an important qualifier. Because the truth is, I I don't like this any better than you do, but there's always some degree and some measure of personal opinion and perspective when the truth of God is preached because we're all human. And always there's even well-intentioned, good uh, people of good faith have disagreements about certain things. And so I'm not saying that any man when he preaches 
is an oracle for God in the same way that the Catholics pervertedly claim that the Pope is when he sits in St. Peter's Basilica, that he's speaking ex-cathedra, that he's the voice of God on earth. No, listen, I'm not the voice of God on earth. This is the voice of God on earth. But when I preach, or when the preacher preaches this week, or when you ever hear the Word of God preached, when it is in truth, as it is in truth, receive it as the Word of God. Now, I understand what Paul's saying there. He's saying you received it as the Word of God because because it is the Word of God. But what I'm saying is this week as you come into the meeting, don't treat it as though it's just a man's opinion. Don't treat it as though it's it's just, uh, you know, sometimes I fear that, that even God's people treat a preacher like a carnival barker, just somebody coming through peddling something. We wouldn't say that, but oftentimes when he starts hitting on our sacred cows, then all of a sudden we get real cynical. All of a sudden we become theologians when he says something that gets in our business. Then all of a sudden we become theologians and we want to take issue with things. But I'm saying if you'll come in this week recognizing that God has every intention of using this man in our church life to preach the truth of God to you and to I, and we'll receive it, not merely as, well, there's a guest preacher and he's up and he's doing a good job and I've never thought of it that way, but to say, Lord, you're dealing with me this week. What do you have for me this week? I can tell you this right now. Our church for years now, probably always... But definitely for years now, I've always been proud of the attendance that we've had in special meetings. I hope that's true again this year. I expect that it will be. I've always been encouraged and blessed and proud of the attendance that we have. But I'll tell you this, a church would never have to worry about an attendance issue at a special meeting if everybody believed they was going to come in and hear from God. If you believed that God was going to be waiting at 3020 Wall Ridge Road at 7 p.m. every night, I promise you'd be here. Well, the fact is, He is. The truth of the Word of God is going to be here. Reverence it. And then the Bible says this, They received it as in, is in truth the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. They responded to it. They believed. And when they believed, the Word of God effectually worked in them. I'll tell you this, this is a miraculous book, but it does not work by osmosis. The truth of God's Word, it ain't contagious. You've got to get in it, you've got to receive it, you've got to apply it if you want to see God work in your heart and life. You've got to respond to it. I, I, I hope, listen, if, if this preacher comes in for five straight days and God don't deal with me over something, something's wrong. And we'll probably never have him back again. I'm being honest. If he could, if I could sit through, through five, seven hours, however much it'll be, of preaching, and God not deal with me, God not convict me, God not point something out to me, then something's wrong. I anticipate God to deal with me this week. And because of that, I have a responsibility to respond to that. And I trust God's going to deal with you this week. Uh, there ain't none of us have, have arrived. None of us have apprehended. None of us is perfect. God's going to do a work in our lives this week. And when He does, you and I have a responsibility to respond to it. I read the beginning of verse number 14. I want to read it again to you. And I, I stopped here because Paul then goes on to talk about a greater, uh, broader topic would be the way to say it. But he says about the church at Thessalonica, he says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. You became followers of the churches of God in Judea uh, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. I hate mowing the yard. One of the things I'm angriest about right now in my life is that my grass is already starting to grow. It's getting ready to get down cold. I'm talking about snow cold. And I got grass that needs to be mowed. 
And just as a matter of pure principle, I refuse to do it. I hate mowing. Most women will tell you that of all their household chores, they probably either hate dishes or laundry the most. You know why that is? Because it never ends. I'll say this, man. You ladies, you got it worse than we do. We at least get to quit mowing for like four months out of the year. You don't get to quit folding laundry or doing dishes. And it just feels relentless. It feels like it never, ever ends. And because of that, it can get quite discouraging. I feel like a lot of times, the, the problem in our attitude and perspective towards revival is we view it like God's going to recharge our batteries. That's a wrong attitude to have. The idea is not that God's going to recharge our batteries. Now, I hope you get refreshed this week. I hope that God gives you encouragement this week. But I'm not just asking for God to recharge our batteries. I'm asking for God to revolutionize who and what we are. I want, I don't just want fruit. I want fruit that remains. The church at Thessalonica, they remained in the Word of God. I told you earlier, we need milestones in our life. And that's what this was for them. Paul, many years later, is looking back and saying, yep, it was real. You know how it was real? Because you know how I know it was real? Because you stuck to it. Because these many years later, you're still following. We ought to be giving things to God this week that we don't take back. Now, I understand we all have an inclination. We're all like, a, like the Old Testament nation of Israel. We're bent towards backsliding. I know that. But it ought to be that God does some fresh things in our heart and mind this week. It ought to be that God does some lasting things in our heart and life this week. There ought to be some things that remain. The only way that's going to happen is if we remain in that truth, if we continue to walk in that truth. If all you're coming for is an exciting meeting, then listen, you're, you're, you're looking for the... How do I say this? You're looking for the lowest part of the meeting. If all you're coming for is is good singing and shouting and and a, a good bubbly spirit and excitement, you're coming for the most common, lowest aspect of the meeting. I'm not saying that stuff's not valuable. I'm not saying I don't enjoy it. But I'm saying you're missing what is the greater thing that God is offering us this week, which is truth that is going to change our life. Let me give you one final thing and I'm done tonight. We need to ready ourselves for revival and we need to support this meeting with our presence, our promotion, our preparation, our perceptiveness. And probably everybody in this room, knowing it's my last point, could say it with me, with prayer. With prayer. I wonder how many things that we pray about. Probably, if we were to make a list between the, the troubling things we're praying about and the exciting things we're praying about, most of us, our list of troubling things would be double or triple or quadruple our list of exciting things. Most of the time, we're moved to prayer when we're in a moment of distress. And that's a sad indictment on our lack of faith in prayer. Anything that is of any import in life, and I hope this is true for you, I hope when you went to buy your house, you prayed about it. hope when you went to buy your car, you prayed about it. I hope that when you went to marry your spouse, you prayed about it. I hope all of these were things met with prayer. They should be. They're important things. But isn't it funny how we will meet the temporal matters of life with prayer? But what God endeavors to do over these next few days, very often we'll neglect to pray for. I didn't write this down, but I think it'd be a good thing if you set aside a time each day to pray. To pray. To pray for several things. Number one, you need to pray for yourself. That's where it starts. You know that. I know that. If God doesn't begin in me, 
He's not going to be able to do anything through me. And except we as a church, each individually say, Lord, begin in me. This is something where maybe I break with some of the brethren. I believe in prayer meetings. I believe in praying. I'm going to say a word about it here in a moment. I believe in praying for God to do a work in our body collective. But I believe the key to true revival is not for us all to get together collectively as a church and to say, Lord, do something in Walridge. But it's for us, and we can do it together, we can do it separate, but it's for every one of us to commit personally to say, Lord, do something in me. Because Walridge is us. It's not the building, it's not the block, it's not the drywall, it's not the stud, it's not the the, the shingles. What Walridge is, is us. We're a local called out assembly of believers. And if we'll begin individually, every one of us committing, Lord, I can't make anyone else do anything, but God, I'm going to purpose that I'm going to ask you to do something real in my heart this week. I believe if every one of us would commit to that, that's the path to revival. We've tried to make revival this matter of, of everybody just pulling together. And the truth is, we will pull together if we're all pulling separately and all pulling in the right direction. And the fact is, we need to be praying, number one, for ourselves. Number two, you need to pray for the speaker. Pray for Brother Gammons, Tim Gammons, Woodland Baptist Church, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Brother Gammons, pray for him. Pray for him each day. Pray for him and ask that God would give him unction and power to preach. That God would use him in a mighty way. That God would, through him, deliver the truth that you need to hear in your life for that present moment. I'll tell you this right now, one of the greatest things in my heart and mind that you can ever do for me is to pray for me. To pray for me. I've heard of plenty of old men of God. They said Spurgeon was this way. They said that Ralph Sexton Sr. was this way over in the Carolinas. That, that they had men that throughout the, the meeting and throughout the service, uh, they said uh, Ralph Sr. had uh, in his tent uh, under the platform, he had people laid up under the platform praying and begging God to do something in the service. Uh, Mr. Spurgeon had a prayer room in uh, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. He called it the engine room where widows would meet together while the service was going on and intercede on His behalf. We need to be praying for God to do a work. And I hope you pray for me. I hope you pray for me when I get up to preach, before I get up to preach. I hope it's not idle words, and I hope the only praying that you do for me, uh, that it's not just what takes place in these walls. I hope you're asking God to give me unction. I need it. I need it. If I don't have the Lord's help and the prayers of God's people, I'll do nothing to any avail. I'd say, number three, we need to pray for the spirit of the meeting. When I say the spirit of the meeting, I don't mean the Holy Spirit, and I don't mean the human spirit, but I mean the atmosphere of the meeting. We need to pray that there's liberty when the preacher preaches. We need to pray that there's a spirit of worship, that people have liberty to worship. We need to pray that there is an attitude of receptiveness in this place. We need to pray that Satan is bound, that he doesn't have opportunity to be uh, disruptive, that he doesn't have opportunity to be distracting, but that the, the Spirit of God sets the tone for the spirit of the meeting. And then let me say this, we need to pray for the saints. We do need to pray for one another. We do need to pray that God would do something in our church life. We need to pray that God would do something lasting and changing over these next few days. I'm excited about what God's going to do. Say, preacher, I want to set aside a time to pray. I, I had a preacher friend tell me the other day, and we may do something like this 
something a little more developed like this, but he said he started a thing at his church. I like this called the Jeremiah 33-3 Club. You know, Jeremiah 33-3, call unto me and I will answer thee. He says he's challenged his people every single day at 3.33 to just stop and pray. Pray for each other, pray for their church family. If that works for you, you ought to start doing that for revival this week. If not, it don't matter when you pray as long as you do pray. Uh, prayer is not about when, it's about how oft. Amen? It might be first thing when you wake up. It might be before you go to bed. It might be in the middle of your day. But commit, set aside a time. we got all these dumb phones in our pockets all the time, or smartphones for dumb people. Somebody say amen to that. Set an alarm. We can set an alarm to take a pill. So set an alarm to pray. And to ask God to do something this week. And commit yourself to prayer over the next few days.